0: Thanks for joining us today at Liberty City Podcast. Liberty City values each person's unique experience of faith, and we hope that this word impacts you today. Welcome, everybody. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6, in verse 6. And I want to talk to you today on the topic of the secret place. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done, note this, in secret, will reward you. Father, we ask that you would anoint this time, anoint this word, speak to us today, we pray, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I was talking to someone recently about reading. The person asked me, they said, Levi, when you read the books that you read, do you annotate as you go? Do you take notes? Do you journal afterwards? How do you how do you condense the learning from the book and implement it in your life? I thought, gee, this is a great question. And I kind of, I looked at the person, and I said, well, no, I don't do that, actually. The only book I've ever annotated as I've read it is my Bible. Dirty Bible, clean heart, that's what they say. But for a, a book that I would read, I just read um, The ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, the Disney CEO. I didn't take any notes from the book. I didn't write in it. I didn't even journal afterwards. I, I guess, and this is what I said to the person who asked me, I said, uh, generally, no, I don't do that. And then I said this, I'm just looking for one take home, one learning. Just the one thing that the book is trying to teach me, and then I try and implement it, immediately. We're in a new year. 2021 has well and truly arrived. 2021 has left us behind in its dust. And my question for us, when trying to find the one thing, that nugget from 2020, what did we learn? What was it that 2020 tried to teach us? What is the take home? Essentially, what did 2020 give to us that we can implement immediately? I guess we could say that no one is safe, that bad times come upon us all. I guess we could say that no one is safe, that bad times come upon us all, that none of us are above challenges. In 1991, a sociologist named Ray Oldenburg released a book, and in the book, he talked about this concept of the third place. We all have home, we all have work, but he talked about this concept of another place. Uh, For those Englishmen in our church, um, for many people, the pub globally in England has been glorified. In New Zealand, it's the rugby club, the ball or the cafe. And I think in Canada, it's the outdoors or even the hockey club, the rotary clubs, the taverns, the sports clubs, the day spas, that place that we go that isn't home or work. But circling back to implementing what we learned from 2020, I guess the question is this, where do we go when we can't go? Where do we go when that place is no longer available to us? Right now, as I preach this message, we are in a provincial lockdown. In fact, yesterday afternoon, Quebec is now in a provincial lockdown with curfews. What what do we do when we can't go? When all you can do is stay home, maybe go to work, gyms are closed, hospitality is shut down, we can't even visit our friends. What do we do when we can't go to what Ray Oldenburg in 1991 described as that third place and in comes Jesus. And he brings to us a revolutionary new teaching. And he talks about this concept of the secret place. Down the road from my house, there is a bridge that goes into a clearing and we walk and run through it often. And in the summertime and the fall and the spring, but particularly at the height of summer, I would take the kids there as often as possible, especially Jovi and Hugo but I'm trying to make the walk to the bridge to the clearing exciting. So I started putting on this voice and I, and I gave the bridge a name. The bridge was not just the bridge, it was the secret bridge to another world. And we would go to the secret bridge to another world every day that we could. And we would go and find pixies and fairies and hobbits and orcs. And we would talk to the squirrels and the birds on our way to try and find ninky-nongs and all of these characters from Hugo's TV shows on television. This secret place is just like that. It's like that bridge. It's a secret place to another world. But not a place where you find pixies and fairies. Jesus, I don't think, is interested in those things. But a place where we can go to find him. You see, we all have work. We all have home. But the third place I believe Jesus is speaking to us about is indeed that secret place. A place where you and I can go and find him. A place that we can create not a physical place, although it could be, but a place where we pull out our Bible, that hot cup of coffee, and we escape to a place dedicated to God, a space that's consecrated for Him, where we can cultivate our relationship with our Creator. Second Kings 4, 9-10 through 10, speaks about uh, what we call the Shunammite woman. And she speaks to her husband and says, look, there's a holy man of God who comes through and we must build a room. I can imagine Mike and Dallin, I can imagine Dallin talking to Mike, in fact, in these exact terms. You know what? I want to build a room for the Lord. You know, Mike's like, "Well, well, let's make it happen. And she says this in verse 10. Let us make a small room on the roof with a chair, a table, a desk and a lamp so that whenever he comes by, he can stay with us. Don't you love that sentiment? Basically saying we don't want the man of God or the presence of God to just visit just a swing through, but that he would come and live with us. This woman in her great wisdom created what Jesus is referring to here as the secret place. Not a three-season room, not a mud room, not a sun room, My friends, a Jesus room, a secret place. Luke 5:16. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus says, uh, it, it, it says about Jesus, I should say, that he often withdrew to isolated or lonely places to pray to find God, to establish for himself in his life, a secret place. The Bible says about Moses in Exodus 33 verse 7, that Moses created a tent of meeting outside the camp, some distance away. The Bible refers to it as a tent outside the camp. Do you have a tent outside the camp? We understand that camp can refer to the world, can refer to the hustle and bustle where everybody else is. These days, with us being in lockdown, it's not so much downtown in the Barwood markets, but probably on social media. Probably with me, with my 15 tabs open at all times on Google Chrome, always trying to keep up to date with sport and news and what's happening in the world. But friends, we have to create a tent outside the camp where we can go and find solitude, isolation, purposeful time where we cultivate a relationship with God. Moses created that space. Jesus created that space. The Shunammite woman created that space. And friends, we must create a secret place to another world. If you're taking notes, I want to talk to you today about what it is to create that space. What exactly is the secret place? If you're taking notes, just a few quick thoughts. The first one is this. The secret place is a private place. Matthew six again says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father. The pronouns there are important. It's your room, it's your door. And friends, he is your father and therefore it is your privacy. It's not a place for public consumption. It can impact the public, but primarily the secret place is a private endeavor. It is a place or a time or a a space that you go to or create that's isolated and secluded for the purpose of cultivating your relationship with God. It's a place that you should take great pride in, but as a place that is inherently, in and of itself, private. I remember a time in our lives we had a garage unfinished. So it's like concrete floor. Uh, it It had drywall on the sides, but uninsulated. And it became for me in Fonaria a secret place that we would go to and we would have scriptures on the wall and it wasn't a place you'd take your guests. Your secret place is not necessarily a place you should create to take others, but a place where you go to find and cultivate your relationship with God, inherently private. When we moved to Canada, I created another secret place and Sam Smith ended up taking it over when he was living with us and it became like his place of working out. So I was kind of like we would work the physical and the spiritual and what a team we were. And it was the furnace room in the home where we started the church. Downstairs in the basement off to the side. It was one of those rooms that's insulated but no drywall. It's just got the builder's wrap. And so we bought half a dozen chalk pens, white, yellow, and pink. And like we would write like he would write like weight goals and I'd be like, yeah, I want to bench press this, you know, and he it was a big me. It's great. But then we would also have personal goals and scriptures. And he and I would, we, I don't even think we cleaned it when we moved out of that house, but we would have scriptures and dreams all over that room. We would go out, and do our bench press, but on the side, we could see that the goal was not just to be physically strong, but to be spiritually strong. It was a room that we created. No one else went there. It was not a room that anyone came in, apart from those who were setting up the church with the white Ikea chairs that were also in that room. But it was a private place. And therefore, number two, if you're taking notes, the secret place is therefore a personal place. As a flow on from privacy, that place that you create is therefore inherently personal. It's about you and it's about Him. It is a place where you go to find Him. I'm so stoked every time Nadia talks to friends who come over about my personal quiet times. And she'll say this all the time. She'll say, every day Levi sits in the exact same spot. There's nothing special about the chair that I sit in. There's nothing special. Well, I take it back. There's something very special about the table I sit at. It's marble and it's wonderful. But apart from that, there's nothing special or uniquely spiritual. But for me, I just love habit and routine. The privacy of that place, apart from my kids running around and doing homeschooling, creates the very personal nature of that space. You see, for instance, my marriage is private. There are only two of us. There's a public side of us being public figures, I suppose, and having friends and being out there in the public eye, sure. And Jesus, no doubt, the Holy Spirit is that third strand of the cord that brings us together. But at the end of the day, my marriage is Nadia and my marriage is myself. It is very personal. And because it's personal and because it's private, we establish trust, we establish transparency, and we have relationship. We talk all the time. As a result of all the conversations I have with Nadia, with one wink or nod, she can communicate with me across the room that I've got something in my teeth. A bit of parsley just there, you know? She just, you know, maybe a little... That's all she needs to do in order to communicate with me that something's not quite right. And in that moment, I've got to decide, is it because I'm being overly competitive in this game? Probably. Is it because I'm being too grumpy with this person? For sure. Or is it something in my teeth? But because we have relationship, I'm able to make those assumptions and make those decisions very quickly because we talk all the time in private and therefore very personal. We've talked, we've debated, we've had conversations. And I know with one look that she's saying to me, you're working too hard. You haven't been in your word. You are being too competitive in this game. Because of the privacy and the personal nature of our marriage, I'm able to ascertain quickly. And I guess what I'm trying to say to us today is when Jesus says, go into your room privately. Don't worry about making it this big public fanfare. Don't make prayer like the Pharisees Jesus said where they would go on the roof and pray and it was this big thing that they expected other people to notice. Essentially, Jesus is saying that your quiet time, your prayer time, your devotional life, the secret place, it's not about others. It's just about you and your relationship with God. And it is powerfully personal. If you're taking notes, it's private. It's personal for sure. But the the, the last thing in this section of our message today is that it's a powerful place. It's a powerful place. It's our secret source of power as Christians. Every superhero has it. I mean, Captain America's got his... Super soldier serum. Uh, Captain Planet has the sun. He's a, People don't talk about Captain Planet. People sleep on this man. This man is a quality superhero. Um, Superman has the planet Krypton, the Green Lantern has his ring. Every hero has that secret source of power. So do we. Our, our relationship with God centers on the secret place. That The secret place that we create to another world centers us. It levels us out we gain peace and we lose anxiety. It is a powerful, powerful place. It is where you can expect to talk to Him and hear from Him. It is where you can expect to learn and forge a relationship with Him, where you shut out the rest of the world. And I'm not expecting that you'll go and do this four hours a day, but tomorrow, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes on a regular basis. Every large journey they say they say, starts with one small step. They say, how does a mouse eat an elephant? That's gross. That's what they say, one bite at a time. You and me creating a space and a relationship with God starts with one small decision. Daily disciplines and habits to create a space where we meet with God. So that's what it is. It's private, it's personal, and it's powerful. But I suppose the big question for us today and really the crux of our sermon this morning and this afternoon is this, what happens there? What happens in that place? And if you're taking notes, I'd love to give you a few thoughts that you can write down today. The first one is this. Intimacy is forged. That's what happens there. Intimacy is forged. I, I have just the most um, brilliant adoration for parents. Mums um, in particular, I think. That maternal instinct, I, th- I think, is, is magic. And it's specifically, when it comes to parents, whether I'm with them at their house or they're at mine, and the kids are playing. And something happens, you hear a little thud, like you've probably heard during our sermon recording today, there's some construction in the background. A little thud, a little cry, a little, a little tear, or just a little something in the other room. And you watch the parents, but I think primarily you watch the mums with that maternal instinct and that superhuman hearing that they're all blessed with. And they'll crane their neck and lift their ear, and some mums will hear the noise and not flinch because they know inherently that that noise did not come from their child. And other parents would start to get up and realize that it was that was actually a giggle. We're fine, but they listen to volume and tone and their ability to decipher what's happening in the other room based on just the noise. <sighs> Remarkable. I remember years ago we were at our um, our family home in New Zealand, Rangipawa Street Ave or Road, whatever it is, and we were there, and there were about eight kids uh, there that day, just like two or three families worth of children just in the pool, just cranking, just having the best time. And there was a bump in the other room and a a child started to cry and Nadi did that. She just just leaned into the noise and kept talking, sipping on her latte. I was blown away. I mean, I wanted, I want that power, you know. I I said to Nadi later that night, I said, what happened there? That was just like, that was, that was remarkable. And she said, well, you, you gotta understand, babe, like I spend every day with the kids. Like I, I, first of all, had them in my womb for nine months. You get to know someone pretty well. Then I was there at their birth, obviously. And then I've spent every day with the kids since. Like you're involved as a father, but like that's another level of intimacy. And as a result of spending all that time, I listened to their voice, their tone. And then she said this, I know them intimately. I was so impacted by what she said that day that I realized that I wanted to hear God with a level of intimacy just like that. I reckon that was in 2012. So coming up, you know, 10 years ago. Since that day, um, the following year, I read my Bible cover to cover. And I have every year since, at least once, read my Bible cover to cover every year since that day in an effort to create a space where I could forge a level of intimacy with the Holy Spirit so that I could hear Him like Nadia heard our kids and know And instantly be able to decipher, that's the Lord. That No, that's not God. Yep, that's the Lord. And I'll be able to move forward with confidence in my life, knowing that he was speaking. Reinhard Bonnke says in his belief for a blood-washed Africa, seeing the continent saved in Jesus' name, he reckons that God spoke to five people before he finally settled on asking Reinhard. I used to think that those five other people were sinful, not listening. Um, maybe they just haven't cultivated an ability to hear God's voice like Reinhardt had. And as a result of that, he heard and responded to that call. The book of Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 21, says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice coming from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Hang into that. We'll hear a voice coming from behind and you will know that, the voices of the Lord, and then you will know this, that it will say, this is the way, walk in it. It sounds like that guy off the Mandalorian, you know, I have spoken, you know, and they're like, this is the way, walk in it, and you will know. I mean, we hear voices coming from behind us all the time. Beeps in a car, someone running on the canal. On your left, we hear voices coming from behind all the time. But my point is this, you won't just hear the voice, but you know whose voice it is. You'll understand, that's the Lord. He, I, I just, I'm just i about to make a big decision and I feel like I've got a green light. I'm about to make a small decision and yep, I feel like I've got a green light. Uh, actually, that's actually not the Lord. That was me this whole time. And we get better and better at understanding is it indeed God's voice or not? I'll be honest with you. Like, I, and this is hard to communicate. It was a massive step coming to Canada. Like, it's hard to communicate with someone who hasn't, moved countries with like four young kids and sold everything, how much of a big deal that was. And I say that to say this, that big step didn't start with the big step. It didn't wake up and go, hey, Nadia, I think God's broken to us. Let's sell everything, move to Canada, start a church. The place we've never been. should be great. It started when I was 12 years old, when I made my bed because I knew that I should honor my parents. It started when I was 13 years old, when, I realized that I need to give someone some food from my lunch because they were hungry at school. It started when I was 14 years old when I found a clarity in worship one day. It started when I was 15 years old when a, a passage was highlighted from me um, in my devotional life um, when I was reading my Bible. It, it started when I was 16 when I realized I needed to treat people with respect, to encourage a classmate, to forgive somebody, to say sorry for being a dork, to give in an offering, to change careers, to walk through an open door that to follow God in the big steps of our life, career pathways, promotional changes, family dynamics, it starts in the very small things. I get so frustrated sometimes when I pray because I'll start praying and I'll feel like straight away I've got to repent. And I'm like, oh man, I did this yesterday. And God's just like, yo, get yourself right. Get your heart right. So I repent. And then you're like, oh, actually, far out. Oh, I repent. Oh, man, I repent. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, Actually, thank you, Lord. Because I've I've repented and I believe you've forgiven me. Wow. Now my prayer life takes on a whole new twist. Then I'm then I'm like, God's like, oh, you know, you better forgive them. And I'm like, forgive who? He's like, boom, 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 oh, okay. So I've repented, you've forgiven me. Now I must forgive others. Okay, great. Now I'm forgiving people. Now I'm forgiving. Now my prayer's taking on a whole new level of power. Because he's forgiven me and I'm forgiving others. And it's this beautiful synergy. And now we walk on. It's small little things that lead to those big steps. So when I go to take a big step, I've heard his voice in the secret place. And he's a voice coming from behind saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Intimacy is forged in the secret place. If you're taking notes, the second thing I say is this about what happens there is this. Fruit is formed. See, intimacy is forged, but fruit is formed. We spent a few weeks talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think four or five. So I won't go into it in too much detail. In Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In, In short, the secret place is where you keep in step with the Spirit. The secret place is where you have consistent conversations and you invest time And your relationship with the one you were trying to walk in step with. You can't microwave relationships. You really can't. I mean, some people you meet, instant instant connection. Like I'm so, so just infinitely blessed since moving to Canada um, with the relationships that I've made personally. People in the church, friends that I've made, like I just, just so, so, so blessed. Uh, To think about the people that I've met and I can remember the first time we met. Like Mike and Dylan come to mind or, or Chris and Marley come to mind. Even the first time I met Adam Malte, Steph wasn't with him at the time. But you just, you remember, yeah, I remember the first time I met this person because there was genuine chemistry. But for the most part, relationships take time. I used to road cycle way back when. I was what they call a mammal, a middle-aged man in Lycra. <laughs> great, great times. <laughs> and they have this phrase in cycling. And it's called, you just need time in the saddle. That there's essentially some things that only time can make you better at. They talk about players coming back from injuries, athletes coming back from injury, and they use this phrase, especially in basketball, he's just getting his legs back underneath him. Getting his legs back, time in the saddle, that there's some things that only time can heal. Taylor Schaefer, a dearly loved friend and mine, member of our church, He's a great runner, great athlete, great father, great husband, but he broke his foot, had like a hairline fracture in his left foot, maybe like last year, six months ago, and he got it diagnosed and so they decided, him and the physio decided that he should like, through immense self-control and discipline, peg back his running and ever so slowly increase it like 10% per week. So we would go running and he's like, how far are we running today? I was like up, you know, whatever distance. And he's like, great, you know, can we run a little bit less? And I'm like, come on, man, Like, we're going running. He's like, dude, i got to look after myself because there are some things that only time can heal. And through self-control, this man has been able to nurse himself back to full health as a result of putting the time in so that his foot could heal. The secret place is just like that. You and I, we need time in the saddle. The Bible talks about Enoch in Genesis 5.24. We just read this recently a few days ago in our um, in our Bible shred 30 day shred it says Enoch note this walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away we know about Enoch that God took him away because that's that's pretty much all we know about Enoch is that like God took him away Like Enoch's the guy who God took away Enoch didn't die because God took him away but this is what we don't realize about Enoch that he walked faithfully with God faithfully walking when you and I get to heaven we'll hear those words I pray we do Well done, good and faithful servant. That faithfulness is something that God is looking for from us. And when we think about Enoch, what led him to having a relationship with God where God took him away was that he walked faithfully with God. I reckon Enoch probably did physically walk faithfully with God. They probably actually physically walked. In our secret place, because of Jesus, we don't have to physically find God to walk with him. We don't even have to get up from out of our seat to walk with him. The secret place is where we faithfully walk. The secret place is where we create and cultivate that relationship with our loving God to build the relationship with Him that forges in us and forms in us the fruit that can impact the lives of others. And the last thing I'll say is this, is that the thing about the secret place in terms of what happens there is this, His anointing falls. His anointing falls. Fruit is formed. Intimacy is forged. But his anointing falls. Unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, I believe that the, the world has become allergic to the power of God. But not only the world, but I think sometimes the church has become allergic to the power of God. We understand the scriptures are important. Yep, we understand Jesus died on the cross, 100%. We all wear a cross around our neck to prove to ourselves that we believe and know that fact. But the Spirit of God, spiritual renewal, genuine revival that starts in the heart of a person forged in that secret place where his anointing falls, many of us have become nervous, anxious, dare I say it, even cold to the presence of God. But we must fight this trend. We need the power of God in our lives. We need Him. We need His touch. We need His presence. We need Him to speak to us. We need to forge a relationship with him, and we need it, we need it, we need it for the world that we live in. Acts 4.13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they too were preaching in the middle of construction, that they were unschooled and ordinary construction workers that worked far too loud. (laughs) Imagine if the Bible said that, that'd be crack up. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 13 that they were still very loud, but they were working diligently and believing that they could make a Great space for the Lord. The Bible says in Acts 4.13 that when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. <laughs> that's awesome. Imagine if, like, the Bible's gonna, oh, whoever's gonna, I don't know if I, I'm not gonna be in the Bible, obviously, because it's already finished. Except the book of Acts is the only book that's yet unfinished. Acts <laughs> of the Apostles. But if someone said that about me. You know, when they saw Levi preaching at Southminster that day, they realized that he was unschooled and ordinary. <laughs> That's awesome. They were astonished. Then it says this, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were, un- they were unschooled and ordinary. They- these guys are regular people, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, they had been in touch with the tangible sense of God's power. Jesus will take your ordinary and my ordinary and he will make it extraordinary. We need his power, we need his mark, we need his difference. It is our identity. We can welcome, amen. We can host, we can sanitize, we can build, we can love, but only God can truly transform. When I was about 19 years old, I um, had graduated high school. Uh, In New Zealand, we don't call it graduation, we just finish. (laughs) And I'd I'd finished school and I was going to university, but my school, my public high school, had offered me a role like 10 hours a week to come back and work with Indigenous students. And so I was like, yeah, definitely. Starting a homework club and trying to help as many young people who were Indigenous Māori or some Pacific Island kids just get ahead and, and, and pass and graduate. And so I was thrilled to do so. They, they increased my hours and then I got a contract for the second year, got that renewed. But long story short, I went back and, uh, let's, like, honestly, it was tough work. Uh, I felt very discouraged and, um, There were times when I felt like giving up because it was hard to wrangle all these young students to kind of like get excited about being educated, you know. And so I was doing that. And then out of nowhere, a friend of mine who was a couple of years older, he got a job as a math teacher at the school. And he was like, like a devout Christian, like he just went hard after God. He's a really good friend of mine, just a genuine encourager. And uh he got a job, so I was I would see him and, and we would like encourage one another. We would start to pray in the mornings and you know, I was really thrilled to have him there. And then out of nowhere, one day, he's walking past me and he had like his satchel, you know, math teacher vibes, you know? And and he's like, Bro, Levi, I've got something for you, man. I was like, What's up? He's like, dude. And he pulled out this like, it was like an A four sheet of paper, like printed. And it was, you know, it wasn't like well kept, it wasn't like in a manila folder or one of those clear see through ones. It was, you know. It was, it was just a folded boy piece of paper, you know, doggy-eared on the edges, frayed a little bit, a little bit wet, coffee stains. And he's like, Bro, this is for you. I, I read this, I implemented it, it changed my life. But 100% when I was doing it, I thought about you and I felt compelled to get it to you. And I was like, Great, thanks, man. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, read it, read it later. So I opened it up later on. And at the top of the page, it said the anointing. Right at the top there, the, 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 the header, the anointing. And then it went on to talk about the three stages of Moses' tabernacle. The outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies. The outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies. Went on to talk about how in the outer courts, like in church, we come in with praise and thanksgiving. And then in the inner courts, we get into a deeper sense of worship. But then in the holy of holies, we don't do anything. We just receive what God has for us. And I, and I was captivated. Like I think I might even still have this piece of paper. This piece of paper that might be 18 years old. I've implemented what the paper expressed that day, and my life has never been the same. The outer courts is where we give God praise, we engage in thanking Him and we move forward and then we worship Him in the inner courts. But then the Holy of Holies is where we receive His anointing. And in the secret place, where intimacy is forged and fruit is formed, the last thing that happens for you and I is that his anointing falls. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 6, right at the end of the scripture, it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret, last three words, will reward you. That the secret place is a place of reward. When I read that word, I thought about Genesis 15 says this. After this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This is Abram who would become Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I read that one time I was like that's a like ripped off. Like Abraham got ripped off. Like I just finished reading the Hobbit for about the 13th time. Smaug is the most is Smaug? Okay, Smaug the dragon is the wealthiest fictional character in history. He has more wealth than Scrooge McDuck, Tony Stark, like Batman, like this man is wealthy, okay? And all Abraham got was like the the presence of God. I remember reading, I was like, bro, where's the gold? Where's this man getting mithril? Like where's the Arkenstone, you know? Then I realized like as great as success and wealth is, God said to Abraham, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Back to Matthew. Your father will see what's done in secret and he will reward you. With what? With fame? I don't know. I don't think so. With success? Maybe. Who knows? By what definition? I'm unsure. But this is what I firmly believe. That when we forge intimacy in the secret place and his anointing falls, that he is our very great reward that we will chase success but he offers himself that we chase accolades but he offers himself that we will chase financial gain but he offers himself and he is our very great reward if you're here today and you're watching for the first time you're, you're away from god really At the end of the day, there's not a truckload that like I can offer you. I can offer you a family and a community and small groups to get you connected in and an opportunity for you to find friends and that is amazing, priceless. But at the end of the day, the greatest reward, the greatest gift that you can receive in your life is an intimacy with the God who made you starting with a prayer and relationship with His Son, whose name is Jesus. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're away from Him, you're not walking with Him, you've never prayed a simple prayer to get your life right with God. If you're here today and that's you, you're saying, I need Jesus, I'm distant, I'm far from Him, I'm away from Him, then I would love to, I would love to pray a very simple prayer today and believe that you can in your life today, pray a prayer, secure your place in heaven, believe for forgiveness from God, for your wrongdoings, for my wrongdoings, and your whole life can be changed in one moment as a result of that prayer. And so friend, if that's you today, you're saying, I need Jesus, I'm away from Him, I don't know Him, I'm not walking with Him, then pray this prayer with me and then I'll throw you back to the boys. The prayer goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today, church. Love you so much. We are so glad you joined us today at Liberty City Podcast. Please check us out on social media and find an event to connect with us.